Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, and we are The Last Nighters. You can find us on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Knives Out. This is episode 139 of the show. You can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com slash 139. We have a great guest coming up for you in just a moment. But uh, I will say, if I've learned anything from The Princess Bride, it's that they make good knives in Spain. And this episode was actually a suggestion by a listener from Spain who contacted me on Twitter a little while ago. And he said, hey, y'all, can you review Knives Out? I said that we could in a few weeks, and here we are. And uh, he said, awesome. Thank you very much. Love the show, by the way. So I uh, just want to share that with you, Robert. Somebody actually listens and likes the show. So that's good news. What? I know. Incredible, right? Um, also, uh, I wanted to mention that um, as a surname sharer with Ryan Johnson, Robert, I will hold you partially responsible for his ruining of the Star Wars franchise with The Last Jedex. This is partially my fault? Just because of the surname uh, sharing. But yeah, pretty much. Well, I'm used to uh, lots of things being my fault, so understandable. All right, fair enough. Well, let's uh, introduce our guest. Uh, I've been wanting to have this guy on for quite a long time. He is the meme policeman. Hello, meme policeman. Uh, we can call you Ryan, I think you said. Uh, so Ryan, the meme policeman, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience and uh, tell them what you do and where they can find what you're uh, what you work on? Sure. Well, it's, yeah, it's great to be here, guys. Um, the Meme Placement is basically uh, just a fact-checking site that kind of specializes in uh, social memes on social media. And uh, so I'm sure you've all come across things on your feed, probably on a daily basis. You know, you see memes, you're like, you know, that's not true, or you might think it's not true, or maybe you just aren't sure. Is that true? Um, so basically what I do is, uh, you know, do the research, analyze it, and kind of do, you know, a brief breakdown using uh, you know credible sources so you can kind of um, kind of get to the truth. So I'm not quite as legendary maybe as Benoit Blanc of, of this movie, but uh, you know I, I try to try to bring some sort of sanity to to uh, social media, which fortunately is sort of lacking these days. But uh, yeah, you can find the word websites meanpolicemen.com and uh, most of the action happens on the uh, Facebook page, just me, Policeman, and also on Twitter, I'm at Policeman Meme. And then I do have some also in tutorial instruction videos on, on YouTube as well. So that's where you can find me and happy to be here talking about this movie. So All if right, I may, if yeah, I may before ahead. we uh, get into things, I'm just curious how you go about uh, policing memes. Just what kind of, so, I mean, you just go to Snopes.com and say whatever it is. <laughs> well, Snopes would be sort of a competitor almost that, um, but no, what, what I do, so I, I kind of monitor certain pages. Um, you know, I try to pick out memes that are, you know, pretty popular that are, um, you know, either a popular topic or, or a viral tweet or, or meme and something that's being, being shared a lot. So, and then I, I go ahead and just mostly do my own research, um, you know, wherever that, that may lead. And then I, I try to find the most, the most credible, you know, sources so that, you know, you don't have to take my word for it. I, I just kind of lay out, you know, what I found and then you can go double check and agree with me or, or not agree with me, but try to try to get people closer to, you know, to the, to the truth, which, cause I, you know, obviously memes have <laughs> no real, uh, no real fact checking behind them. It's not I mean, as bad as the media is, you know, memes have even less, you know, less behind it. So. So with a like, I'm just imagining one of your posts. I'm sorry, I've never yeah. seen one. But yeah. if you had a post, you got like a meme, and then you 
and then underneath it you've got yes. all the your sources so most of the time i either label put something over it saying misleading or false uh not always because sometimes they're not exactly fit those categories they just deserve you know commentary but uh, so if something is and then uh so whatever the meme is usually they make some sort of claim you know and then i will basically de debunk that claim sort of like a snopes i guess but but i kind of have my my own style and uh you know break it down some of the some things take longer so i, I try to fit it on a, on a facebook post or a twitter thread but if, if it some things need need more analysis and longer and then i usually have a, a website post for those but um yeah, so generally I, I break it down into bullet points. So maybe like five to ten bullet points would probably be average for for most memes, as I you know kind of cover the main main things you need to know. Okay, so you don't necessarily the link like this is my source yeah, for this so, information. Well, on the on the bottom, I'll, I'll link all the all the sources that I used. Um, on the on the Twitter thread, I try to each claim that I make, I'll I'll link just with the nature of Twitter that it makes that easier. But on Facebook, I, I just put them all on the bottom. So. You can find it. Usually, there's only like you know two, three, four sources that I that I use. So, okay, cool. Well, thanks for explaining to this old boomer. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we yeah, should have uh, both been up on this, Robert, before we had him on. It's all right. I can ask questions about the internet, Daniel. It's all right. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, I, I started it about five years ago now, and you started small, but uh, it's been steadily growing. I think I've over. We just passed forty thousand uh, likes on on Facebook. So. Um, a lot of the the posts now are getting some some good traction, which is which is nice. I'm not, you, you know, unfortunately the memes, most of the memes that I cover have been shared, you know, hundred, you know, thousands, hundreds, thousands of times. So it's kind of that thing where you know the a lie gets around the world, and before the truth has a chance to get its pants on or whatever the saying is. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's like the headline uh, gets out there and then they do the correction or the retraction on page 12 like a week later. Yeah, or the Twitter version of that, they, you know, it gets the first one gets 10,000 retweets and then, oh, sorry, I, I messed that up. And that gets like 20 retweets. <laughs> so, but that's yeah. the world we're, we're living in, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's good stuff. I, I've I've seen them uh, for a couple of years now and, and that's why I've wanted to have you on for a while. And it seems like... Um, and I swear we'll get to the movie, everyone. But uh, it seems like you have a um, very fact-based and almost objectivist um, perspective that you bring to the analysis of the events. It's very much like here was, you know, the action. Here's why this, you know, is a misleading statement from the meme. So it's very much like a point-by-point -point takedown of these things. And I think it's really hard to argue with um your analysis, I think it's pretty much spot on uh, almost every time. I haven't had any real disagreement with anything I've seen. Yeah, well, I try to explain, you know, where I'm coming from, I, and yeah, I do. I do have a little bit of you know objectivist influence for sure. Kind of um, often between objectivist, libertarian sort of circles, but I, I try not to let that influence necessarily the the post which would be about finding the truth versus for that for that situation but you know every every fact checker is going to have their their perspective so i, I feel like i kind of have a unique um you know thought process versus like a snopes or a, um you know some of the other others out there not that those you know i think people should should listen to those as well and just compare with maybe what i'm saying and you know what others are saying and you know that's 
that's the best way to get to the truth. You know, the best have the best argument, the best facts win. That's that's kind of my my philosophy. So, what would you say your um your ratio is for finding memes to be false or true? Is it mostly false? You you, you find ones that where you're like that can't be true, or I want to see if that's actually true or not, and then you go out and you find evidence to debunk it, or you yeah, yeah, mostly confirming memes. Uh, well, most of them you can't really debunk because most of them are just stupid and <laughs> they have an opinion or, you know, they're just, they're not much you can do with. So generally they have to have, um, make some sort of claim, factual claim, particularly, num you know, numbers. And uh, I'd say probably the majority of them are, are misleading. So they take like a piece of the truth and omit, you know, all the, all the context and, and, you know, to mislead the viewers. So what I do is I, you know, I, I bring in additional context and say why why that's why that's misleading but um but yeah did I, so a lot of them i do from like occupy democrats which is and the other 98 percent, which are probably two of the biggest left-wing pages um i find it's harder to find right-wing memes on like there's there's not as many uh meme pages that that post widely shared memes that are debunkable a lot, a lot of the right-wing memes i find are you know, troll type memes, or they're just, you know, you know, they're, they're silly, or they're just making an a, opinion. So, um, and, uh, you know, as I say, the, the left can't meme, but they also have a lot of misleading and, and uh, false memes. So a lot of the yeah, left I, to make more specific uh, um, claims, basically. So that makes it easier okay. to debunk. So I see. So yeah, I, I, I would, I would say, I don't know, I don't, I don't pay attention to a lot of left wing memes. But I do notice that I like you. a lot of right wing <laughs> a lot of right wing memes are more like based around their beliefs and philosophy. Would you say that's kind of true? Yeah, or they're or they're like troll type memes, you know, like particularly where the libertarian, maybe all right memes are more like like trolling and it's hard to even take them ser seriously sometimes. It's like are they trying to just provoke or mess, you know, where but most of the left wing memes are are serious. You know, they're not. Yeah, they're serious. Trolling. They're not funny at all. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm in the memes for the funny. That's what I care about. I mean, sure, if there's some truth there too, that's great, and that makes it funnier. But I'm mostly there for the funny, and I don't want to necessarily look at a meme and get lectured to or explained the this listicle about why their worldview is correct or something. Especially if every point is wrong. All right. <laughs> and then, but I, at the end of the year, I do kind of a fun thing called uh, the memes meme awards. So. Because um, normally I don't address the funny memes and and that's just not my my thing. But at the at the end of the year, I, I try to give awards for all different categories. You know, like the funniest meme of the year, or the most annoying meme, or the and then the best and worst. You know, I come up with a bunch of different different categories to try to reward some of the the good ones as well. But but most of the time, I'm I'm dealing with the the bad ones. So. <laughs> All right. So All right, you're saying Occupy good. Democrats is probably the, the worst defender in the meme world at this point? Well, as far as you're concerned? they're probably the biggest page. I think they have like 10, over 10 million followers. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, and other 98% is also up to, I think they're above six or seven million followers now. So, and the, the thing about those pages, though, they're just kind of like a bellwether. Uh, they're bellwether sites. They just kind of pick up what's what's in the, um, in the zeitgeist and the culture. Okay. So, but I like to say they they don't come up with any ideas on their own. Basically, everything, all their memes come from usually either public statements from somebody or tweets or or headlines or, or something. But 
they're just repackaging what what's what's in the culture. So that's why um, I use them. So if Occupy Democrats post something, it's it's usually because it's it's been from a viral tweet or you know all over the the culture somewhere. So what what percentage of left wing tweets are funny? <laughs> tweets or or memes? Sorry, I mean for me, I'm sorry. Uh, every once in a while, I if you had to put a number, I'd probably say like ten percent. You know, that's, that's not, not that that's maybe five percent. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's more. Every once in a while, I, I have to give them credit, but but most of the time, it's it's they're not good. So we've answered the question that the left can meme just about only five percent of the time. Are they successful? Left can rarely meme. Can <laughs> <laughs> revise statement. All right. Well, uh, thank you for the uh, exposition on what you do there. And people should check it out, memepoliceman.com. And we do appreciate you joining us for this episode. And uh, we usually start off the Google description. So uh, once I read this, then we'll go to Robert for his opening information. So if you guys are ready, make it uh, yeah on screen. All right. Here we go. Uh, Knives Out came out in, looks like, 2019. It was uh, an American mystery film written and directed by Ryan Johnson and produced by Johnson and Pam Ram Bergman, a modern day whodunit. The film follows a master detective investigating the patriarch's death after the family gathering gone awry. Uh, it came out uh, 2019, just last year, 7.9 on IMDb, 97% Rotten Tomatoes, 82% Metacritic, and 93% of Google users liked it. The description is, the circumstances surrounding the death of crime novelist Harlan Thrombley are mysterious, but there's one thing that renowned detective Benoit Blanc knows for sure. Everyone in the wildly dysfunctional Thromby family is a suspect. Now Blanc must sift through a web of lies and red herrings to uncover the truth. Uh, director and screenplay Ryan Johnson, box office $309 million and got a few nominations uh, from the Academy Awards. And uh, Robert, we'll go to you for your open. Well, I've seen this movie twice now, uh, once for pleasure and once for the podcast. And I enjoyed it much more when I was watching it for pleasure. Not to say that it wasn't enjoyable the second time around, but I already knew the story. So it was, you know, you don't get to go on. I think the most fun for me in this film was in the reveal at the end with Blanc kind of laying out what actually happened. And then you get to put all the pieces together and see if it all fits in your own mind. That's the real joy in this kind of a film. Um, so it was, it, was, it was more fun the first time around. Obviously, the second time you know what's going to happen. But uh, I really did enjoy this film. The acting is all fantastic. All the performances are a lot of fun. I really also enjoyed the um, the storytelling strategy here. Like the, the way that the story was told. Like I thought it was going to play out much more like a, um, like a Clue type of movie. I mean, it's obviously based on it plays fun with uh, its influences, Clue being one of them. But you it the movie sets up some some kind of red herrings at the beginning kind of introduces the idea that some of these other family members could be involved but then it quickly forgets about that like just just when they're doing their initial interviews and they're showing some flashbacks of the other members of the family we find out that it could maybe be one of them but then we get zero more information to kind of like ooh maybe it could be this person ooh maybe it could be that person we just kind of follow along on Marta's story and we find out that, well, at least it wasn't her. And But we're not exactly sure what is happening until until the end. Um, and, uh, man, I, I was along for the whole ride. I thought uh, probably my favorite standout performance was Chris Evans. Uh, he was just having so much fun in that film. 
but so was uh, James Bond. He was doing great, uh, even with his funny accent that he did. Uh, I think I think it was just a whole bunch of you know character actors really hamming it up, and just having a good old fun time and a good old fashioned who done it. And I, I really, I, you could maybe I'm not going to give it a perfect score, but I really don't know if it's a whole lot of flaws to it. And I, it surprised me that this was a Ryan Johnson film. Not that he's not a talented guy and doesn't know how to tell a story, but just between this and Last Jedi, and I was like, hmm, you know, what 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 is? Whoa, these two things don't match. I mean, I, th I thought that the last Jedi was pretty atrocious. And then this was quite, quite well done. And I think he also did, didn't, isn't this also the guy that did Looper or something like that? Or maybe it's something else I think of. I but, think you're right. Yeah. So I, the guy can tell a story. He knows what he's doing. He's a competent filmmaker. And I, I had a lot of fun with this one, but you know, they can't all be winners, I guess. Yeah. Now, uh, Robert, did you find that, uh, like in the last Jedi where there seemed to be a lot of messaging underlying almost every scene that there was something similar in this, because a lot of reviewers that I, I read um, seemed to think that there was a lot of kind of uh, politicizing or yeah. messaging in this. I remember, I remember when I first watched it because I watched it on Amazon and then I scrolled down to the reviews and it was either five star or four star review or one star review. And there was no in between. There were no like twos and threes. It was just either this is a great movie. I had a lot of fun or this is SJW trash. And I honestly, I didn't see a whole lot of it. Um, it wasn't like in Last Jedi where Kathleen Kennedy seems to want to smash and ham fist. Like she found an ally in Ryan Johnson where he was like, yeah, force is female. We're going to cram all kinds of feminist stuff into this movie. Whereas I think when Ryan Johnson's just working on his own, doing his own thing, I I just don't really see it. Yeah, there is the, the social justice character and there's the alt-right Nazi troll, supposedly quotation marks kid uh and they kind of have it out a little bit back and forth and at one point the kid gets called a nazi but it was all done kind of i mean it wasn't like they were throwing ideology in your face it wasn't like there's this super strong female character and she's gonna do everything the best and she's the awesomest and everybody loves her and i mean there is a really sweet main character who kind of gets by because she's so nice and cares about people and that sort of thing it wouldn't play into the the evil machinations, but it wasn't just because she's just the best all the time and whatever. I, I, I didn't, I didn't see it like it was in the last Jedi. I, I saw it more, um, as a, like a, a hammy fun, quirky character type thing. I thought it was kind of, it just added some, a little bit of flavor to the mix that there would be, uh, an SJW kid getting an SJW degree in college and then getting her, her college paid for by grandpa. And then mm -hmm. the mom double dipping and, you know, and then I, I thought that was all fairly even handed. I mean, just the fact you can't, are these, are these reviews saying that you can't even have these characters in your movie? I think it reflects kind of the society. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot to that. And, and I, I actually liked how they treated them because they almost treated them in, in jest and just as like character enhancement. It wasn't like, oh, the SJW person is like this great person. No, they were kind of poking fun at her a little bit. And then they were also poking fun at the alt-right troll kid, calling him a Nazi, but not like seriously and not in the way that people call you that on social media these days where they actually mean it. But this was more of like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's just there to like yeah. upset people or whatever. But uh, yeah, Ryan, you want to pop in? Yeah, I mean, the alt-right kid was more of a, just like a, a small character, I, I thought, like, um, 
almost like comic relief at, at times, you know, like your kid's a Nazi, like it was almost like a joke. Whereas, um, you know, it did have that element, but you know, the, the social justice warrior um, daughter was almost more evil in a way, you know, like she starts out kind of like, like pretending to care about, you know, the, the immigrant nurse and, you know, but when push comes to shove and they're not going to get their inheritance, you know, then all of a sudden they're, you know, they show their, their true colors. And that's, you know, whereas like, I think, I mean, the all right kid does at one point, I think say call her a, what, anchor baby or something like that. But, um, yeah. Uh, but beyond that, like he, he kind of played a small role. So uh, there was a little element of that, but I, I thought it was, um, yeah, it wasn't like they were treating the social justice warriors as good and the outright guys as bad. It was like a a funny family. Like everybody in the family is is bad, basically. I mean, everybody in the whole movie is bad besides the nurse and um, I guess Benoit Blanc and the, the father that died. Um, but the whole family is evil in their own ways and some are on the right and some are on the left. And so I, I didn't find that that made it overtly, you know, political. There was yeah, kind of I think, like, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. If you're making a movie in 2019 and you're going to have some political characters talking about politics, I mean, at one point, um, who was it? Uh, Don Johnson. Is that, what's his name? Is that, is that, the, yeah. is that his real name? Don Johnson. Yeah. He, he gets into yeah, an yeah, argument with everybody. Yeah. Miami Vice, he gets into an argument with people about, I guess, what immigrants and other like, follow the law kind of thing. So that, that felt, that seemed, seemed a little bit on the nose about somebody trying to inject politics, just a little bit, but who hasn't been to a family gathering where the talk isn't about politics? I I can't, I can't visit my relatives anywhere where there isn't somebody talking about politics. So I thought that was perfectly believable. Yeah. Yeah. And then the one guy, uh, I think it was the Michael Shannon character, Walter, he started singing Hamilton. (laughs) Waltz. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you talk about how so good and stuff yeah yeah but i mean in, in general though if just my overall take on the the film i i really liked it it was probably one of my most my favorite films that i i saw last year just in the fact that with i mean it's everything's so crazy now this movie just allows you to have two hours just be totally immersed in in this you know whodunit story which is you know a genre that not really that that used anymore like um, there, but it kind of brings you back, you know, if you read like Agatha Christie novels, you know, when you're younger or, or things like that, it just like engaged your mind the whole time. You're just trying to figure out things. And then, you know, at the end it's, you know, it, you know, the good triumphs over evil and reason triumphs over, or, you know, everything and the, and the truth. And, you know, I, I kind of like, like that theme it was just an enjoyable film well acted I, it's not like a super important artistic film that's you know going to stand the test of time but for um you know it's a great movie for what it is two hours of, of enjoyment so yeah yeah i tend to agree with that absolutely now one issue i did have in the very beginning i think i told daniel right away when, when i watched it and i said hey this is a good movie i had a lot of fun but <laughs> big i had i had a little issue <laughs> with just how super genius daniel craig was and I wondered if either of you guys felt the same way. Like when he was breaking it down and laying out exactly what had happened, I was like, did you just perfectly read everybody in the situation and put all the evidence and facts into your head and supercomputer spit it out like a bat machine computer? Just be like, this is the guy that did it. And this is exactly how he did it and all that kind of thing. 
Um, it was fun, and I, I enjoyed his breakdown and that kind of thing, much like Tim Curry's in the original Clue movie. That was a lot of fun too. But I, I, I when it, when I first saw it, I was like, "There's no way he's that smart," and he figured that all out. But um, the second time I saw it, I didn't have that same impression because I already I'd already seen it and I knew he was going to do it. So I, I don't have that ability to really judge. You know whether or not it, it was unrealistic or not. I wonder if either of you had that same feeling, or is it just me, um, Daniel? Yeah, it's, I, I, I had a similar feeling, but I think I think I can pin it down a little bit. I don't think it's that Daniel Craig Bond was so good at figuring out. I think that it's just so incredibly unbelievable what actually happened. That ransom left and then as he's driving away decides you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna come up with this elaborate switcheroo plan break in and do all this stuff all in the matter of moments i i don't find that to be a believable turn of events if he didn't have this thought out well ahead of time i don't think that this is a sudden within moments process right. he has an argument with the grandpa and then as he's driving away he stops early in the driveway and then turns in and then sets up the whole chain of events. Like it, it all came to him in like one month. Like it, obviously he said he was, he was honest when he said, you know, he figured out he would have to fend for himself and his mind immediately goes to wicked, super complicated uh, revenge murder scheme. Okay. Right. And it depends on Marta being responsible for the death, even if she didn't actively intend it with malice so that this Slayer rule thing plays into it like he has to have all this foreknowledge and information about this but he's this spoiled brat like playboy guy i, I just don't see it happening so that yeah, was the it, part that made it unbelievable for me uh, yeah ryan what was your take yeah i mean yeah there's definitely some holes holes in i, I would call it plausible but definitely you have to suspend a little bit of belief for for some of the things but the, the other is you know when marta thinks that sh she's killed him with injecting the you know the like she gives him like a hundred milligrams of morphine or something yeah. like what do you like yeah. realize i mean it's not going to take 10 minutes to i mean yeah wouldn't you feel some I don't, I don't normally inject morphine but from what i imagine when you inject something you're like you know pretty messed up right away especially if it would be that much you know it might take 10 minutes to to die but he seemed pretty lucid and able to construct this whole like wouldn't it, yeah wouldn't it like <laughs> numb your whole body wouldn't you just I would, be like i don't know feel I've this. Of you feel this <laughs> Yeah, but same I would probably Ryan with a little bit of morphine. In yeah, they inject a little morphine. Yeah, yeah, and it's like almost immediate. <laughs> yeah, but it's almost immediate for the oh, pain yeah, relief. Yeah. So like well, you feel it almost suddenly. Get, yeah, when they inject heroin, it's you know that it's like right away from what I imagine. Or, yeah, yeah. So that was another <laughs> thing that that was another thing that felt totally unbelievable to me that he would be aware if he had received morphine and especially that quantity. You know, he was supposed to have, what, three milligrams to help him relax. And he must have, like, been familiar with the feeling, right? And obviously, he wasn't feeling that, unless it's like a placebo effect, because he believed that's what it was. But I, I just I don't mean, see it. Yeah, you'd think you'd feel a lot different. But not only that, to have the mental capacity to think through, like, this elaborate scheme that he has her do, you know, while you're on that much morphine, I would think would be difficult. Although they Although did... He right, would they be able to set that up, throat, you know. Oh, they, oh, they, they did set that up with saying that the plots of his novels just came to him. 
Oh, okay. real quick, yeah. so yeah. that you know he's got already got these stories in his mind. He's got to think right. out how characters act, that kind of thing. So it's I plausible. Kinda, it's plausible. Kind of plausible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the same it's thing like, with Ransom. Maybe. Maybe that's the genetic thing that he could just. He had this plot preconceived in his head, not that he was actually going to use it on his grandpa, but he was there and just came to him. And so that's why he turned around. I don't know. Maybe that explains it away a little bit. But Ransom could uh, beat him at that whatever game they were playing. So could Marta. So nope. that, I don't know exactly what that meant in the movie, but if it meant he was had the same sort of brain or, uh, you know, but that was sort of an interesting thing that that game that they played and that they were yeah. the only ones that beat him. So. Yeah, I don't know why Marta, it was important that Marta could beat him at Go, other than to have the, the conversation point come up in the argument. Because obviously she wasn't a schemer. She never planned anything out in the film, you know? Yeah, I kept waiting for a turn to be, oh, Marta actually is bad. Because they play her up as so good. <laughs> yep. You know, and, and even Bond is like, oh, you're such a good person. And I can't, I don't believe that, you know. This stuff and and she did. She actually thought she was uh, the one who had done it by mistake, of course. And she started hiding evidence yep. as a result. So she's not exactly. Um, I mean, that's a bit ambiguous, right? Like she knows she didn't intend to do it, but she's also like, "Well, I don't want to get caught." Right. <laughs> well, she's also like the mainstream media, where she will be <laughs> factual but not entirely truthful. I mean, exactly. she will, she mm -hmm. will say part, partial truths to avoid vomiting. So that's that's fun. I yeah. thought the, the vomiting thing was another thing that wasn't exactly believable, but it was kind of an interesting thing in the story, I, I thought. But is that even, a, has anybody ever? I don't know if that's a real, from, a real thing. Why? I don't know. <laughs> you know yeah, I, I think Ryan Johnson just had to build up in these mechanics to make the plot kind of work because like he had to have her be able to beat the grandpa at go and Ransom be able to beat the grandpa at go so that the Nazi mouse masturbator would overhear Ransom having the argument. And then the subject of Marta came up and that would be the tell to Bond to know that Marta came up in that, in the middle of that fight for some reason, because there's right. no other reason other than they're arguing about the will. Well, therefore he must've been talking about Marta and the will of the same conversation. Yeah. I wonder, I imagine when you're writing one of these kind of stories, it really is you're putting pieces of a puzzle together and you are just coming up with things that are semi-plausible to fit because this must be, it must be kind of difficult. I imagine he worked on the screen for quite some time because there really aren't a whole ton of holes other than I, I think the, the morphine one and then the, the quick thinking murder plots. But, and then also I think, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you guys didn't have an issue with Blanc's uh, big reveal of knowing everything. It, it bothered me a bit at the beginning when I first saw it, but I think it's such a fun it's the whole, the whole, it's the big payoff for the film is, is the big reveal of what actually happened and does it all fit and make sense. And were you along for the ride? And is it, is a big satisfying conclusion? And, and I think it's a very, very satisfying conclusion. I, I thought it was all the fun. And then even to have um, one of the cops be a big fan of the, <laughs> the novelist guy, that was a fun inclusion where he was pointing out little key details. Oh, these are from that story. That's from that. Oh, this is totally like this story. That was a lot of fun. So I had a great time with this movie. Yeah. Now, Robert, in your second watching of it, and, and Ryan, I think you watched it a second time as well recently. Did you guys find that there were breadcrumbs and clues in the film that would reveal what actually happened? Or is it not that you can actually see these things? And so then you're dependent on Blanc coming up with this out of nowhere 
um, reveal because that kind of is unsatisfying to me. Um, there was a critique of Sherlock, the BBC series that goes into that kind of concept where, you know, Matlock and, and shows from the eighties that you would watch. And for 45 minutes, you're like, how are they going to get out of this one? And, but sometimes you go, Oh, that that's the dirty character. That's the person who did it. And then when you find out that's who it was, because you were observant throughout the, the show that you could figure it out before the main character, before the Columbo moment. Right. But did you, I'll go to Robert first. Did you find that in the second watching that there were these clues where you could have that Columbo moment or are you relying on Blanc coming up with this without the information available to you? Yeah, I think you're reliant on Blanc. Now, to be fair though, my, my viewing of the film did change drastically. Not, not, well, not drastically, but there, especially with certain scenes, like where I'm paying the second time around, I paid key attention to ransom and his mannerisms and the way he was acting. And I interpreted them wildly differently. The second time, the first time when he shows up, I think it's where he's like at the will reading. And he's sitting yeah, down. That was a fun, he's that like, was a fun scene. He's having a great time. He's like, fuck you and fuck you and screw you. And I hate you. And this he's just having a blast. I interpreted that very differently the first time. I thought of that as the guy that is sick to death of his blue blood family. And he's just wanting to see everything burned down because he's just he thinks he's they're all hypocrites and you know this and that. But the second time around, I saw it very differently. And how he was super excited to, you know, watch, watch, watch the will reading and knowing what was going to take place, that Marta was going to get all the money and still kind of sticking it to his family, but, but from a period, uh, from a position of foreknowledge. So those mm -hmm. are two very different readings. And uh, I still, he's still my favorite character in the film. I still think, uh, yeah, he, he he did a great job acting wise. But you're right. I don't think that there's a ton of breadcrumbs for the audience to pick up on otherwise, other than his performance. And even then, like I in the first time, I interpreted it a completely different way. Now maybe that's because I wasn't perfectly analyzing each individual character. But yeah, um, you know. Each character had a, a motive for the most part. Um, yeah. And I, I like your idea that that was brought up and maybe it should have been followed a little bit further so that you actually, by the end, you still think it could have been any of them. I think that right. would have made a better film. Yeah. 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 I, I guess he didn't fit into his puzzle piece movie, but it really would have been nice to have some, some, some falsely, some red herrings for some of the other characters along the way, other yeah. than just in that yeah. initial interview. Yeah, and well, Ryan, I want to ask you the same question um, sure. after one follow-up to Robert. And, and is that in your second viewing where Ransom is at the will reading, was it your understanding that he had conceived of his plot to split the money with Marta and so this, thus screw the rest of his family and that's why he was so flippant with them? Or was that conceived of later after they escape and go to that um, diner and she he feeds her soup and makes her puke and whatever? Yeah, no, I think... I interpreted it. I don't know. Maybe I'm right or wrong. I don't know. But I interpreted it as he was excited to get all the money or half mm. of the money and then have okay. a backup and have a backup. I mean, he, he was going to be good either way. Okay. That's I don't understand I, how he would get all the money. No, no, no. Not that. all. Either half or his share, his normal share. Okay. All right. Yeah, so, Ryan, well, uh, your take. Well, I, so, I, well, at first, he, so at the will reading, he would have been thinking that, um, trying to deconstruct this, but that Marta would 
like he had already framed Marta in his mind, right? But he didn't realize until he sat down with her in the cafe that she had um, actually not poisoned him, right? So that's that's what he realizes in the cafe because prior to that, he he thinks that he's framing Marta. That's why he hires Benoit Blanc in the first place is to, uh, you know, get Marta. It's not until she starts telling him the story that she, he realizes that she didn't give him the vials that, that he had set up or whatever. So um, mm. it's at that point that he has to switch, switch his thing to only get half, half the money or, or, or actually he's before that he was just going to get his own share because she would be found guilty and that right. would void the, the will. And he would have just gotten his own share with the rest of the family. But at that point he realizes he can get half, half the, or maybe, or does he still only get his his share? I can't remember. He would have gotten his share, right? But I yeah. think he was mostly happy and excited for the will reading because he was just well. At that point, just, he, he had his popcorn surprised. in his hand, and he yeah. was just happy to see his family lose their shit. Exactly. I think that's what he was mostly happy well, about. That, and he knows that he's going to frame her, you know. So he he's going to get it eventually, and he's just yeah sitting back for the ride. Um, he's I would say Schrodenfred full on, <laughs> and he's just being like, "Fuck you guys, you're not getting shit." <laughs> for me, like the. The nice thing about the first time through the movie is that you actually like midway through start to think that Ransom is actually could, could be a the good guy, you know, because he's almost like too obvious at first. You're like, there's no way like he's like super pissed out. He's like the black sheep of the family. There's no way he's the one responsible. That just seems too obvious. And then he's like, oh, maybe he's going to be, you know, the hero. And then he's helping Martyr. And then, um, you know, then he obviously turns at the end, but the second time through, obviously you don't have that, um, that kind of journey. And you're just, yeah, like you said, you're watching him him more carefully. Um, the other thing I noticed more the second time is that uh, Marta had that, uh, the blood stain on her shoe, which was kind of like given early, early on in, in the movie. And that's what, that's why Benoit Blanc knew from the beginning that she had something to do with with the murder but he also knew that she couldn't tell a lie so <laughs> um but that was kind of one of the interesting things i didn't really notice the first time through but the second time i'm like oh yeah there's that that blood stain on her on her shoe that he saw yeah i noticed i noticed that early in the film i only watched it the first time and and uh then blanc noticed it as well and what was the point i i, I don't understand because there was no like it was obviously a suicide because there was no blood splatter or um, shadowing or whatever would have happened in any area of the room. Like there was a 360 degree, like blood pattern, but she was so far away. How would she have gotten blood on her shoe anyway? Like she peeked in through the door and was like, ah, this happened. And then she had to, you know, leave. Yeah. Um, my thought was that when he slit his wrist, it would fly. And she just got that one little speck. Um, no, yeah. But... He, he severed his carotid. So mm -hmm. that's going to shoot out. Really, right, but really didn't good. she not notice until she opened the door and saw him? And wouldn't that have been after the fact? No, she she saw him slit his wrist, I'm pretty sure. I thought, I yeah, I thought she saw him, and then she turned away, right? Or not his wrist, his throat. <laughs> no. Throat, wrist. Eh, I don't know, I'd have to watch it again. <laughs> All I know is that it made sense to me at the time. Okay, all right. All right. Maybe I'm well, weird. so we've done a few nitpicks. I have one more, and I don't know if <laughs> sure. this is a Do real thing or not, yeah. but it seemed to me... If you're going to have medications, that you wouldn't want them to be in the exact same vial, same colors, same everything, except the words might be slightly different. Now, the, the reveal told us that Marta is so experienced that she could actually 
without even knowing, sort of like when you're sexing chicks, um, <laughs> they can just, you know, you, you hold up the chick and if you're good at it, you can nine, 99 times out of a hundred pick male, female. You guys are aware of how they sex chicks? Oh yeah. Oh. I'm almost yeah. No. Chicks. <laughs> I'll post a video about it. But it's, it's apparently like there's nothing visual. There's no visual thing. Like you, you, you just get good at it. You practice it enough. And then you somehow intuit this. So she got almost intuitively, she did the right medication. But when you looked at them side by side, it just bothered me that, that they were so identical looking other than one, you know, one, one word on them. That just seemed unbelievable that to me. I don't know if that's how. Oh, 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 you mean before when they're in actual, like, in their actual bottles, why would they not look differently? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah like, like, why would you want color. morphine to look identical to this? You tell me, Janet. Was... You believe in the market, right? Come on now. <laughs> well, it's probably highly regulated. You know what it probably is? It's probably a regulation <laughs> that says the label must look identical. <laughs> the vial must be this dimension. I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it bothered me. But okay. it, it might be a, a regulation thing. I don't know. But, no. um, Robert, you got any notes you want to you take us down? No, I took zero notes and I was looking, honestly, I was really, really looking, but I just, I was just in watching it and I just, I just had a lot of fun. I don't know. It, I wrote down, um, I think, I think I wrote like one note saying that so-and-so just called the other one a Nazi and a social justice warrior or something. And that was it. I, I think you guys are coming up with some great points. I, I think just this, this discussion of the plot and the characters and the story is just been a lot of, a lot of fun. So I, I don't really have any like key takeaways. Um, it's, it's more of a, this is just a pure entertainment film. I don't, I don't necessarily say this is like a political statement or a, an important film that people need to see. It's just something, if you want to have uh, two hours of good time, I can see why, I can see why murder mystery novels are, or at least used to be a really, really popular form of entertainment because they are engaging. And, um, it's fun to see a film like this, you know, in 2019, um, so uh, I, I would love to see more like it, or I don't know if this is, this genre is going to get, you know, refreshed or reborn, but if people can start making kind of more films similar to this, I think it'd be uh, a lot of fun. I'd watch them. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason why it feels so refreshing is, is that it kind of embraces facts and reason, you know, cause we're, we're living in this area, what era where, uh, you know, postmodernism, like there's no such thing as true or truth doesn't exist. All this kind of, you know, nonsense philosophy, which shows up in, in all sorts of films as well, where things don't make sense. Like, you know, the whole, you know, it's, it's not emphasizing the efficacy of reason, let's say, you know, and, and being highlighted and, and, and being admirable. So that's what this, this movie was about, you know, the truth, getting to the truth with the facts. And I think that that makes it appealing and it's, and it's logical and, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's not a lot of, a lot of films like that anymore you know like the most famous film last year would be joker and joker is just like um it was a great film but it's just uh you know a depressing film a film of that highlights human misery mental illness you know like like the guy like he doesn't have a choice he's just destined to become you know this joker because he was abused in the past and you know it's just it's a very down depressing film but and now, of course, it feels like we're living in, in Joker, essentially, <laughs> you know, with the, the riots on the street. But so, yeah, that, that's that's why I enjoyed it so much. And, and again, it's not like super um, 
important film, you know, from an artistic or 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 statement is just refresh, you know, refreshing and, and well done. So yeah, I, from one of based on what you just said, I, I do have to mention that it was refreshing to see the character of Benoit Blanc as a just very highly competent, intelligent man that knew what he was doing, could analyze people and their motives and the evidence at hand. And he's just very much a it's just evidence of the power of the human mind and its ability to process information and to deliver justice. I, I thought that was a really, really cool thing. Yeah, he yeah. seemed philosophically grounded and he had a lot of great quotes about truth and finding truth and that truth is an objective thing that will reveal itself, uh, which I liked that because there's so much talk, especially in social media and, and censoring and, and what is truth and fact checking and all these things like right in line with what you do. Ryan at Meme Policeman, but you know who who is the arbiter of truth? Who decides what's true? And especially when things are, um, you know, nuanced or taking, you know, needing philosophical foundation with which to view things to be able to derive what truth is. And yet they just like, um, I'm trying to come up with the right word, but it's like they they have this hubris on these fact checking sites, especially on Facebook or whatever, to remove posts or try to correct things that they really don't know. And they, they can't actually know. They just have a very biased opinion that happens to disagree with whatever the opinion was or whatever the facts might've been for some event that somebody posted. And then people see that it got fact checked or they see something got removed and then they can't make the decision for their own, for themselves. And I, I think that's a dangerous precedent and I, I really don't like it. JP Sears just got shut down from uh, YouTube, I think. Um, as a result of some of his parodies. And, um, you know, you, you can't, um, it, it really feels like you can't speak your mind or have opinions or have a com competition of ideas uh, anymore. It seems like it's more just, it's the MSM mainstream opinion or else, and that's it. Yeah. And so what I do every once in a while, I should probably do it more often, but I, um, every once in a while I'll do a post saying, um, just in, in that vein that I'm not the arbiter of truth. So when I post, when I plaster false over a meme, that doesn't mean that I'm like from sent from heaven saying that it's for sure false. What it means is that from every, all the available evidence I've looked at, which I lay out and the sources I've determined that this is false, you know, and that's all I, I can do. So, so I try to ha have people treat fact checking sort of like a, like science. So, um, you know, science, it would be irresponsible for scientists to say, this is the truth. What, what science is, it's like from all the available evidence, we found this to be true. But if something, we find something later, then, you know, we'll, we'll update our findings. But, you know, to claim like, a, for a fact actor to claim that they are the arbiter of truth is, is the wrong, it's wrong epistemologically, you know, that's not how, how the truth works. So, the truth is what are the facts of reality. And then it's, we use our reason to obtain that. And there's, you know, limitations. And, um, but if you follow the process, you get, you know, you can arrive at the truth, but with the caveat that all of our knowledge is contextual. So there's no such thing as apps. Sometimes you hear people say like, what is absolute truth? Or you don't know that for sure or hundred percent sure. And that's, that's confusing what it is what human knowledge is, which is always contextual, right? You can't, um, we're not God, we're not a 
you know, infinite being, all we know is, is a certain context and that's what knowledge is, you know? So from everything we know, this is what we know. And, um, you know, if I find something else out, then I'll update my context, but that's, that's all we can use. Well said. That's absolutely right. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> based all on right. all evidence, based on all the evidence I have, I believe that to be true. <laughs> but you, you do right. see that a lot of people make that mistake, though. You know, especially with the science. You know, things. That, well, scientists say say this. It's like that's not what what science is. I mean, yeah, you, you should listen to experts because they have generally a better understanding and context of, of a certain thing but you, to say like if a scientist says something that means it's it's the truth or you know that's that's just not how science works or or knowledge right. works, so it's not how yeah truth is not arrived by consensus no right and how many times has the consensus been wrong uh there have been things in um i think they're called scientific revolution turning points I, i'm sort of butchering it but there's been consensus is held by the majority of thinkers in a certain area all believing, you know, the earth is flat or whatever, and then all believing that the earth is the center of the universe, and then all believing, you know, certain things. And then there would be some abstract out there idea that would be ridiculed and mocked for a long time. Um, well, first ignored. And, you know, it's like the, the Gandhi quote, like, first they ignore you, then they make fun of you, then they fight you, then you win. And then it then everyone flips over to this new kind of perspective, and that becomes the new consensus. But it's like this ever-evolving thing. I think Rothbard had a thing about it. I'll try to find it, post it on the show notes page. But yeah, it's basically, you know, the concept that you don't actually know. You're always seeking and searching and, and like the scientific process is about testing theories and repeatable um, experimentation and things like that. And and even that has issues that Hans Herm Hermann Hoppe has talked about uh, in the Popper rights. Like if all knowledge comes from scientific scientific experimentation, then what of the truth of that statement of itself? You know, who says that that's where all information comes from? And and all that. So it's it's really interesting, um, kind of a philosophical take on this. And, and I kind of like Benoit's perspective and his uh, grounding of, you know, finding truth and, and and even having like some great quotes about what truth is and, and how it can reveal itself. So I like that part about the inevitability the of what the rainbow, truth's rainbow, or what was it? What was that line you said? Oh, I, I, I have to look it up, but uh, it was eloquent. <laughs> the, the arc, the arc of truth's rainbow, and he goes towards the arc, and he sets and waits for it. Oh, didn't he, didn't he say that he didn't know what it meant, but he thought it sounded cool? It was like a book title, yeah. or something. Yeah, it was a book title. Yeah. He didn't read it. He didn't read the book. <laughs> he read the book but... <laughs> yeah, that's I a great commentary seen, too. Uh, uh, I've seen that. Sorry, go ahead. Well, that's great commentary on on uh, just in social media. People just read the headlines and then form their opinions. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Definitely. Anyway, so Ryan, sorry, I cut you off. Like, three oh, no, times I was, there. it's okay. I was saying, um, have any of you seen the Civil War documentary from PBS? Like, that was back in like the 90s. Like Ken Burns? I think I've seen the Ken Burns. Of it. I don't, I haven't yeah. seen it all. I saw the whole oh. Vietnam, but I didn't see the Civil War. Well, I'm bringing up the Civil War because Benoit Blanc just totally reminds me of the same speech as pattern as, as one of the guys in there that, uh, like one of the main historian guys in, in the civil wars. But um, if you've seen it, you'd, you'd remember. Like I liked it when Louisiana accent. Like, Leghorn. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like he stole it right from, from that, uh, from the civil war guy. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, um, any last points anyone wants to bring up before we get into final summary and review where we give it a score. It can be, um, 
you know, sometimes it's out of 10, sometimes it's stars, sometimes it's uh, black and gold. Sometimes it can be whatever we could, you know, give it a number of knives, um, whatever you guys want. <laughs> um, I will just say that the very, the very end, well, how it ended was, was I thought very clever when after the whole reveal, you know, he's busted, but then he th- he's going to kill Marta with the, with the knife. Right. And then it, of course it was the, the prop knife the movie and, prop knife. Yeah. I thought that was just a really interesting end. You know, it was just kind of, did he get unlucky oh, and grab the, the prop knife or were they all, yeah, no, sorry, were they all, I don't know. I can't imagine all of these are prop knives. It doesn't yeah, look they, like they gotta be some real ones in there. Yeah. Now was this telegraphed early on? Did they, was somebody like messing with the prop knife early in the film? So then I don't remember any prop knives early in the film. I thought it would be, but it, I didn't notice it that when I watched it the last time, cause uh, yeah, that seems like something that should have been maybe foreshadowed unless that would be too obvious. Maybe if they did that, I don't know, but it, it was, it was a fun end. <laughs> I thought. Absolutely. All right. Well, Robert, why don't you take us down uh final sermon review lane? Well, good on you, Ryan Johnson. This is a complete, uh, passion project. I don't know passion project, but it's completely all him. He wrote the story. He directed it. It's all him. You can't blame anybody else for this thing. And you can't praise. I mean, I'm sure you could praise everybody. You can praise all the other people involved, of course, but it seems to be his brainchild. Um, he must have loved the movie Clue and whodunits like I do. I can still watch Clue to this day. It's so much fun. And uh, I think he's made a great tribute to that film with Knives Out. Um He's kind of reminding me a little bit of a Tarantino, not necessarily in his directing style, and maybe not even at his like uh, talent level. Maybe he's just slightly under that. But he is, I mean, other than The Last Jedi, I mean, throw out Last Jedi. And he's got Looper, which is like his take on sci-fi, you know, time travel. And then he's got a whodunit mystery movie. I mean, you don't know what he's going to do next. This is great. This is some kind of a creative talent that you don't know where you're going to get from him. So I'm as long as he stays clear of Disney and their social justice feminist crap, and he doesn't try and you know inject it. And I, I think he's probably just excited to work for Disney. And he's like, yeah, Kathleen Kennedy, I'm a total feminist too. I mean, maybe he is. I don't know. But it really seemed he played up to those expectations in The Last Jedi. Especially, I mean, you're getting called on and to make the second film in a trilogy. Uh, it's just it seemed like an awkward situation for him to be in. So he he probably felt like, you know, he didn't have as much control as he normally would have liked in a movie. That's just my guess. I don't know. I don't know the situation. I know there are all kinds of like social media things where he's like wearing a t-shirt that says forces female and rah, rah, rah. I mean, you're at Disney. You're making a Star Wars film. You probably dreamed of making a Star Wars film when you were a kid or being in a Star Wars film. So you probably would have gone along with whatever just to be doing it. I'm sure he was just really excited. And then the massive backlash afterward kind of, you know, crashes that whole that whole feeling and probably never wants to go back and do it again i know they wanted to what give him his own trilogy or was that jj i forget i think it was ryan anyway i like him better when he's doing his own stuff um he seems to be a fun filmmaker that i i I loved looper i mean you could we could dissect that and talk about how this and that didn't make sense but i thought it was a great engaging story he's a really fun engaging storyteller and you have to suspend some disbelief it's true like uh, with all films but I am willing to do that for this guy. Um, throw out Last Jedi. I thought it was not good. 
And I'm sure there are a whole bunch of Ryan Johnson hate due to that movie. I think that's a little bit unwarranted. Not that he doesn't deserve some scorn, whatever. You didn't like a movie he made, but you gotta, I think you gotta respect the guy for making stuff like this. This is a lot of fun. Uh, brought together by some really fun talent that all he just let them cornball it up and just have a great time. And everybody looked like they were having a good time and uh, it was a great ride. So I, I originally, when I saw it, I, I think I gave it an eight, just solid fun eight out of 10. I think I texted to Daniel, but I'm going to bump it up just a little bit more. I think this is like an 8.5. Cause it was just, I want to see more stuff like this. I want to, when I go to a movie theater, I want to just have fun and be engaged and just lose myself in that world for a couple of hours. And this, this is that. This is what else could you want? I don't know. This is this is a lot of fun. All right, very good. Well, uh, thank you for that, Robert. And I'll jump into mine, and then we can go to you, Ryan. Uh, I th also thought this was a fun film, and it was well executed. I did find that the holes or the plot conveniences were a bit much to to be too believable, so I kind of had issues with that. And I also see a huge missed opportunity in that. I like the idea of there being the opportunity or the the ability for a viewer to have figured it out along with Blanc rather than Blanc having just super abilities. Um, so, you know, it, it's more of a game if you can be the one to, if you're clever enough and perceptive enough to see the clues throughout a film and then know the answer before they reveal it. I think that that adds another dimension to it. And I think that this would have had just that much more panache to it if if they had done that but other than that it's uh you know it's well acted it's well directed it was really great to see a lot of these uh familiar stars um and man a lot of them are looking so much older jamie lee curtis looking really old in this one uh and another thing that stood out to me and maybe this is just the um the whole lockdown thing but it just felt weird seeing people out in the world and in close quarters together in a recent film that almost you know seems like it could have been um you know just it, it felt so much longer ago, even though it was so recent. I don't know if either of you guys experienced that as well, but it just felt like to me, like <laughs> that that type of um, interaction is of the past now. And that's kind of a sad thing. Yeah, no, it felt like this was how people behaved pre-lockdown. It was Yeah, it's like at airlines being able to meet people at the gate as they're coming off the plane. Like that used to be a thing like 20 years ago or 25 years ago. And now it's totally gone. And and, and probably a whole generation of people have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think as, as far as the score goes, I got to go with uh, Daniel Craig inspired 007 on this one. So, 007 knives out of 10, huh? 007 knives out of 10. Uh, I know that's cheesy, cheesy as hell. <laughs> but uh, Brian, let's get to your uh, final survey and review. Your score, please. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the lockdown because uh, I first watched this in the lockdown. I think it was in April or something like that. So it's one of the reasons why I liked it so much is um, you know locked in my house and it was it was good entertainment for a night. But uh, yeah, I don't before we we talked about it here. I probably would have given it an eight point five. Um, but as we kind of hashed out some of the holes, which which you guys showed, I probably lowered a little bit, maybe eight eight point zero. But um, yeah, it just Overall, I just like that they made a film like this is what, what I'm happy about. But it's not like um, it, it's not like an important film in, in any regard, you know, as far as the story. It's just like a for fun film. So how 
I'm not sure you can give it much more than eight, eight and a half. Um, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. And, and uh, I agree that I, I hope there's, there's more like it. Um, it's if we had movies like this as a standard for, for an entertaining movie that would show a healthy culture. Um, instead we have, have Joker and, and Parasite last year that, you know, I don't think necessarily shows a, a good culture. So 8.0, that's a review. All right. Well, very good. And, and I, I, unfortunately, uh, this is a common theme here on the show is that we tend to ruin movies for people. So after they listen to us, they see certain perspectives that they don't, um, didn't notice the first time. And so it actually does knock it down a peg or two. Uh, Robert's actually known, uh, in some circles with people I talked to about the show, like, Oh, Robert, the co-host who hates every movie. <laughs> well, not every movie. All right. He gave it a really good score. See? This one. See? <laughs> I like stuff. Some stuff. He, I like good stuff. Yeah, it's got to it's got to be a pretty high bar for Robert to like it. And uh, speaking of a high bar, if people like us, if we are a high bar, uh, check it out on Patreon. Lastnighters.com/slash/patreon. You can support what we do here. You can see the pre-show and post-show content that we do before and after the show. The post-show is called Internal Overdrive, and I hope Brian stick around for a little bit longer. That that uh, thing you. A little bit, but uh, it's been a really good conversation so far. And I really appreciate you coming on for our show. And if you could uh, remind everyone where they can find what you do, and uh, then we'll get into some Kathleen Turner Overdrive right after this. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been awesome to be here. Uh, MeanPoliceman.com is the website. But again, most most of the action, just follow me on, on Facebook at MeanPoliceman and Twitter at Policeman Meme are the two places that are. I do most of the content. Also, check out there are some videos I've done on on YouTube. They're they're mostly uh, tutorial type things. So I, sh I sh my intention is to explain to people how they can find uh, information on their own. So I have one on like finding hate crime data. There's uh, unemployment data, uh, things like that. So um, they're kind of brief tutorials, and it just shows you how how you can access this uh, find and interpret the data on your own. So you don't need to rely on the media or, or even me. So. All right. Very good. Well, and Ryan, I'll probably want to talk with you about this uh, a little bit in the post show, the Kathleen Turner Overdrive. I actually have a post on my fan page or my um, Facebook fan page that is a bunch of articles, mainstream articles that debunk a lot of common arguments um, from the left. So rather than finding stuff that they're just going to say, Oh, that's from, the daily wire or that's from fox news so i'm gonna just you know say it's no good this is actually from like huff post or from usa today or from you know so they can't kill the messenger and that maybe the message will actually get through and that might be something that might be um useful uh for some of the stuff that you do um to, to find sources that are palatable to them because they often point to the source being the problem rather than listening to the argument oh, yeah. so i think whenever possible i try to use either mainstream sources or just government or um, or, you know, like government statistics sites or, or if it's a study, go right to the study. I, I try never to use the, uh, you know, right wing, I guess, type sources just because I know that's, that'll be an objection, you know, if you're trying to, you know, argue a point to, to somebody in the left and you use like a Breitbart article, be like, well, that's just Breitbart. So, so, so yeah, I, I try to avoid those, um, and go, go straight to the direct source, you know, if it's available. But. All right. Very good. Well, everyone do check out uh, meanpoliceman.com. He does great work over there. And Ryan, you've been a great guest. Uh, hopefully you can stick around a little bit longer. And Robert, 
next week we're going to be uh getting into some gangster shit talking about some gangsters and some gangster shit godfather 2 with our man keith knight from don't tread on anyone that's just my normal life every day baby <laughs> so we're skipping godfather one apparently we're gonna go straight to godfather two though i think i'm gonna have to maybe try to watch both and uh refer to them or, or maybe we'll do godfather at some point in the future so we'll figure it out but uh anyway let's uh get into some kathleen overdrive so welcome or pff, thanks for being a guest and thanks for being a listener find the show notes more at uh, lastnighters.com slash 139 and i'll say good night from last night everyone peace out